Welcome to this week's Two Men in the Middle. This is where two men in the middle of the country get together and talk about politics, current events, and other fun stuff. I'm Craig Huey. I'm Brandon Kennig. Brandon, I think we're during warm-up, we just decided we're going to just cover as many small topics as grab we can. Bag, yeah, right, of grab topics. bag. Grab yeah. bag. It's not big news dominating this week, but there's just, as always, a ton of things circulate, circulating in the world right now. You know, I listened to the last week's podcast. I guess I learned to talk like three weeks ago. Mispronounced words, had the wrong word, couldn't say. I still can't say it. Adversary score. For some reason, that took me. You had to help me through that. I couldn't get that out without you. So hopefully, you know, my my English is a little bit better. Adversity score. Yeah. Adver- did I say it wrong you said again? It wrong again. Damn it! <laughs> do you ever do something where you say a word wrong one time, and that's like the first time you've said it like in a long time, and right. that's it? You're just and then screwed. It gets stuck. Yeah. And if it work, way, if it's yeah. like somebody's name or something. It's like I, w- yeah. I want to talk a little about Nigel Farage tonight, and for some reason I called him Niles the other day, and I just keep <laughs> calling him Niles. So don't don't look for a lot out of me, I guess this week is because I'm just going to be my normal babbling self. Let's get things kicked off with Ukraine. A um, couple decisions got made with Ukraine this week. One of the biggest ones is the pathway for them to get into NATO. I guess you could say is is laid out at this point. Yeah, and I think this is a major development because even though there's still the reluctance, obviously among United States and NATO partners to actually have Ukraine join NATO now because of the, you know, that would start a war with Russia, an official war. The groundwork has been laid out. It also sends a message to Russia that the U.S. and its NATO allies are serious. They're not uh, giving up this fight. They're not getting tired. You know, they are committed. And laying the groundwork for NATO shows that it's only a matter of time before Ukraine joins. It's it's basically a foregone conclusion. It's just not happening now, but it's going to happen. So I think it's uh, psychologically, it says a lot. It speaks to a lot. The timing is good, too, after uh, what we saw um, two weekends ago in Russia with yeah. the erosion and the, the momentary political crisis at Putin's door. So, yeah, I think it's it's great to see that. Uh, and I think the meetings have been going well with the NATO partners. Uh, and then the recent decision on providing uh, cluster bombs. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a big one by the United States and, and its partners. And again, I think will help just uh, move the war to more of a concluding stage, yeah. especially by helping Ukraine gain a foothold in some of its southern cities and territories that uh, are still inhabited by Russian troops. This may be the, the thing to get them over the edge. What did you think of, we'll talk about more about cluster bombs, but what did you think of, I guess Erdogan in Turkey just had a complete 180 and agreed to let Sweden into yes, NATO Yes, biggest well. NATO news this week. And it was only three or four months ago that Finland uh, joined NATO, yep. which that was a huge win. And for those that don't remember, I did a minute pod on the significance of Finland yeah. joining NATO and their border and their military history, uh, because they have one of the largest freestanding um, armies in Europe. And so Sweden looked like it was at least a couple of years away from joining NATO because Turkey had major objections, was yeah. the only NATO member that did. Uh, those objections, ostensibly, publicly at least, were centered around Kurdish immigrants to Sweden who... Turkey claims are terrorists that had been given asylum um, in Sweden, who also took part in demonstrations where they criticized the Erdogan regime. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so one of the many demands that Turkey had, among others, was that 
Sweden needed to silence these people or arrest them, uh, which, of course, a democracy is not going to yeah. do for people exercising their free speech rights. That's a whole other political issue, though, because Turkey has a Kurdish separatist problem um, within the southern reaches of its country. But that was the reason, at least publicly given, where Turkey was not willing to budge. But some kind of breakthrough happened. We don't know the terms of the deal, yeah. but the United States apparently you know, brought some muscle to the table, provided some type of incentive for Turkey to just completely change their mind on this, which didn't seem likely at all. I mean, this kind of came out of left field, so the, the we don't rumor, know the— The rumor I just heard is we agreed to give them the F-18s they want. The rumor I heard is we're going to sell them a big, gigantic weapons package for this. See, and I hadn't heard it was F-18s, but I, I assumed it had to be military. Yeah. There had to be some type of military assistance that was significant enough to cause Turkey to say, okay, well— and, budge. and Sweden getting into NATO, I mean, Sweden's army is no joke. I think they yeah. have the third most artillery pieces of anybody in Europe. They are well-trained. They are professional. Between Finland, Sweden, and Poland, they could take out what we've seen of the Russian military. They could take out Russia's military fairly quickly, easily, and effectively. Yeah, I mean, those are probably the three largest military powers in NATO and Europe, continental Europe. So, yeah, that says a lot, I think. And uh, just think, I mean, if you go back, you know, two years ago before the invasion occurred, I mean, this wasn't even on the radar. Sweden no. joining or Finland. Nope. I, I mean, there was no popular support yet for it in Sweden. And so, again, Putin's invasion totally swung public opinion in both of those countries. And, and now there's two more NATO members. And uh, apparently, like, his whole rationale for this war was to stop the— expansion of NATO. No NATO at my doorstep. Right. Now you got them all over the place. That's right. Yeah. I think Putin, in, in whenever this comes to an end and we start to gain some historical perspective, I think this will go down easily as one of the worst miscalculations from a military invasion in, in modern history. And we've seen how poor, poorly trained and equipped the Russian army is. I mean, without Purgosian and uh, his... These uh, lunatic mercenaries he yeah, has. Yeah, the Wagner Group army. Like... The Russian military would have already been obliterated a long time ago. Like, the, the private mercenaries are the only thing that has saved uh, Putin's yeah. invasion. I mean, if you want to see what, what how a government breaks down, how you get to the point where graft and corruption and, and nepotism reaches the point where the whole country tips over and cannot function, it feels like that's where Russia was. Mm -hmm. And then right in the middle of that, they decided to start a war, something that requires the most kind of cohesion and everybody on the same page, and everything that Russia has, doesn't have is what they need to successfully start a war. And they just either didn't make that calculation, or they really just thought they'd just roll into Kiev and it'd be over in three days, and that's that. Yeah, it was a major miscalculation. And, and I, from everything I've heard, Putin and his generals thought this would be over in a couple days, yeah. and it wasn't. I mean, it, and it's still ongoing. And, I mean, the fact of the matter is, I always go back to what if, because if Russia were not a nuclear power, this would have been over a long time ago. Um, just in terms of, like, that has been the one major thing that has held the rest of the West back, because Russia is the world's largest nuclear power in terms yeah. of arsenal. They have the largest nuclear arsenal. But, you know, I always go back to John McCain's line that Russia is a gas station and pretty much, you know, that part of the world. That's really what they are, a gas station with nuclear weapons. <laughs> Brandon, I don't know. I don't know what it takes to maintain a, a stockpile of nuclear weapons. I have no clue. I've heard people on different news broadcasts and podcasts say it's very complicated. 
And there's a lot of people that doubt Rush's ability. There's a lot of people that doubt Rush still has those 5,200 working nukes that they say they have. There's a lot of folks that said if this is what we're seeing out of the Russian military, they're doubting that those those nukes are even still active, operational, and could be fired. That's a good point. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. I don't want to find out. Right. But I think what we are going to find out is what cluster munitions are going to do to this conflict. Because the United States, which is one of the few countries that still uses these, has agreed to send cluster munitions to Ukraine. And a cluster munition, again, we're not military experts, but it's pretty simple. You shoot one shell, it separates during flight. Hundreds to thousands of little bomblets fall out, and they spread over a very wide area. Yeah, causes a lot of damage, a lot lot of of damage. And I think the reason why why we don't use these a lot, why we're hesitant to do these, is the United States military really takes a lot of pride, and it's part of its operational focus to cause the least amount of damage we can. I mean, we don't hit... When we want to take somebody out, we typically do it with as little collateral damage as possible. So in some ways, where the United States military is known for our precision, our technology, our efficiency, these are the exact opposite of that. Yeah. I mean, in many cases, the United States military has been criticized for acting too cautiously. It's Mm -hmm. been the other way around, that we give too much credence to trying to not cause civilian casualties. And so, yes, there's been criticism of this decision just in terms of the potential for civilian casualties and obviously of um, the of spreading the bloodshed beyond the Russian army but the fact of the matter is this is a war um, and Russia is not operating by any type of you know war conventions or Geneva conventions Russia has actually targeted civilian sites over and over and over again and so if you want to see this war come to a quicker conclusion with less civilians killed and less uh, you know, damage to, to infrastructure and to um, population centers. And this is one way to help yeah. speed that up. I think the reasons I don't have a problem with this is, number one, the, the Ukrainians have been very responsible with the weapons we've given them, not overreaching and shooting these things off into Russia. Right. I don't think they're going to take a, a cluster munition and hit a Russian city with it. They're not no. going to target civilians with this. And they've been pretty disciplined the, the entire time. And not just Russia. I mean, there's been very few incidents overall, even into neighboring Poland and to, you know, other countries that border Ukraine. You haven't seen that because they have been responsible. Secondly, I think we use these a lot in Asia during the Vietnam era. And we just left these things all over the place. Charlie Sykes did a really great podcast a couple weeks ago with a retired military general who said back in the 60s, the dud rate on these things was anywhere from 2 to 10%. So with that, wow. we just with that one of the problems is you leave unexplored ordnance all over the place. Yeah, people in Cambodia, Cambodia is still covered with these things. So part of the reason that's not that big of a concern for me is number one, we, what I just said, they're not targeting civilians with these, and two, the Russians have already mined the piss out of Ukraine, the territory that they own, and it's one of the reasons why the Ukrainians can't have a breakout. There's just no place that they can go that they wouldn't have to navigate this huge minefield to get there, which exposes them to the Russian Russian military. So if we're going to have a breakout, last week I think we said, hey, by sometime in the first quarter of next year, we think this war is going to end. If that's going to happen, we have to give them these, these cluster munitions. The last thing on cluster munitions that the general who Sykes was interviewing said – 
He said he was one of the few people on Earth who could who has lived through an attack from a cluster munition. And he's like, I cannot tell you the amount of psychological damage these weapons are going to do to Russian soldiers. They are devastating when they go off because basically there is no way to avoid this. There's no cover to take. There's no place to run. There's no ducking. When this thing it goes off overhead and these these bomblets come out, they go everywhere. You're pretty much screwed at that point. Yeah. So he's like, will these things have an impact immediately? He's like, the first one of these goes off, everything's going to change for the Russian military. So if they have that kind of effect, and it's the Ukrainians' decisions to use them on their own soil, I think that kind of opens the, the pathway for that to, to happen. With that said, it just sucks that we're talking about cluster munitions. Yeah, yeah we're at this point, but so we are. Off France ramps for Ukraine. We talked about it last week. I think I'm the only one looking for one, maybe. Is there anything happened that this week with Ukraine that you think opens up some sort of avenue for a negotiated settlement for this sooner rather than later? I mean, I don't know other than if – because there's so much we don't know in terms of what is happening with the Wagner Group Army and and how many of those – troops have remained and have been embedded within the Russian military. That was after this coup, attempted coup occurred, Putin attempted to uh, integrate those two armies. And I don't know how successful he was or how many of them chose to go with the Russians versus stay loyal to Prigozhin or um, desert. So I think that's I think that's a question that's unknown. Um, But, you know, but I think that if we start to see everything unravel now, we can probably trace a lot of it back to that uprising with Prigozhin in yeah. terms of you know the domino effect and setting the stage for what we see. So yeah, I think I mean it is possible, but anything anything that would look like a negotiated settlement would have to be something that allows Putin to somehow save face and still claim some type of victory. And that's what that's what's difficult are, is where are we past worrying about what Putin's going to do at this point well yeah i mean i don't think we should be worried about it but i think at least for him in terms of making that decision i think that's his calculus and so i don't see him budging because i think there's also a question of how sane he is and what type of mind he's at you know i agree with that but i guess i'm looking from the perspective putin's just running out of options isn't he well, yeah. I mean, if you look at the objective, the, the objectives he started this war with and what is the outcome, he's missed on every single one. And now it's obvious Ukraine is going to have a top-rate Western-style military from here on out with integrated artillery, air force, and ground troops with the latest weapons. So congratulations. You just basically created another NATO army you know, on your border in, in Ukraine. Oh, I agree. I just don't see Putin making big moves himself and doing anything in the realm I guess of like what moves left to make. That's what I mean, yeah. other than a, than a nuke, what what move could he make? I don't. Well, I mean, he, uh, with like the the nuclear power plant in oh, Ukraine, yeah. he could cause uh, chaos there. And there's been talk about that, about setting something off and then blaming the Ukrainians. If they blow that power plant, would you support NATO boots on the ground? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I would, I would, you would, I would. Yeah. I think I would too, because that, I mean, that endangers all of Europe at that point. I mean, that, that goes way beyond the boundaries of Ukraine. I mean, to me, 
blowing purposefully blowing up a nuclear power plant and setting off a tactical nuke on the battlefield are about the same thing. Yeah. I don't I don't know there's we might be splitting a hair here, but I think if he does that, and I'm assuming they've sent the message, that is a bridge too far. Right. The dam was almost a bridge too far. You you blow up a new a, a nuclear power plant, that changes the game significantly. Yeah, no, I agree. I just don't know what state of mind he's in, you know, how sane or rational he is and, you know, and, and at this point who he's actually listening to and that's the thing he has a very small core group of advisors and there's so little we know at this point about what those discussions are so have you seen his body double i mean there are pictures of putin that's like it's obvious that is not vladimir putin oh no i have it yeah where he'll pop up a distant in, in a city and they'll show a picture of him and it's like okay unless he's in his face he just lost three pounds there's no way. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. I mean, he does less public appearances than he used to do. Yeah. He, in many of those, he hasn't looked well. I mean, he looks like pale and sickly. So yeah. there's been a lot of questions about his health. And this gets to his mindset. If you're using body doubles at yeah. this point, if you are 500 plus days into a war that's unified the West, if you obviously have a health problem, we know he came to the United States for a cancer treatment. We don't know what's happening with him now. It's probably easy to say that his mental health is is on decline. I hear, too, that he's still massively paranoid over COVID and makes people quarantine before oh, they still. visit him and all wow. of this. So I, I agree that his mental health is deteriorating. I'm just hoping that somebody presents some options to him at some point that, that allows an off-ramp. And I think that could be. I had watched uh, 60 Minutes Australia had a program on Prigozhin and uh, the Wagner Group and the significance of private armies to the Russian Mm -hmm. military apparatus, which was really fascinating because they ordered or they interviewed a deserter from the Wagner Group. They um, interviewed a former mercenary who's operated around the globe. And, and people that have intimate knowledge of Prigozhin. There was one story, which they showed part of the video, they didn't show all of it, where Prigozhin, um, who's very uh, bloodthirsty individual, he had a deserter against the wall, um, basically against several bricks, and he took like a sledgehammer and on video bashed his head in hmm. to send a message to the rest of his troops, like, this is what happens if, Great. You, if you desert. So that's the kind of person you're dealing with. But the fact was that Putin built this army up and, and helped create this. People forget that Prigozhin was Putin's, um, I believe, chef. Yeah, and he, he was and a chef. He, he was a chef, and then yeah. he basically made a career for himself oh, with yeah. this private army and, and was Putin's trusted ally. And now, basically, the genesis of all this was um, some of these Russians that they interviewed who are now in exile say that this is a much bigger behemoth, an animal, than Putin can control. So he created this monster. He can no longer control yeah. it. And that's the real danger is that now that this um, army is no longer in his control— it gives the opening for some of these Russian elites to step in and to make moves. And the question is when and how soon. Yeah. Do you think the war will, will – do you think we'll get to a point in the Ukrainian war that Biden forces a resolution on Ukraine? Do you think – one, do you think Biden has the power to do that? Because he'd also have to get France and Germany and the rest of the coalition online. But do you think if this stretches into summer of next year – 
and they haven't been able to dislodge the Russians from when their When you territory. say solution, you mean like a geographical boundary? Biden just calls Zelensky solution. and say, hey, wherever the boundaries are right now, that's where it is. You're not going to invade Crimea because you can't take it back. We're right. not going to keep endlessly supplying you these weapons. Um, this is what's going to happen. And the you're, breakaway regions that, remain part of You're going to lose 15% like of your territory. That goes to Russia. Here it is. That's the deal. If you don't take it, the weapons spigot gets shut off. I think... I mean, I think those discussions have happened to some degree behind closed doors already, but I think they'll likely happen again in full force um, in six months' time frame if we haven't seen things move on the ground. Yeah. If this in six if it's still months, a stalemate, yeah, if we're in the same place. Well, if they get jets in October, November, I still don't understand why Russia doesn't seem to be using their air force. I just don't, I, I just don't get that. But if they get air cover in. Um, in the fall, if we give them air cover, if we give them, if we give them the F-18s, the cluster bombs, and the attack of missiles or artillery they want, that's all we have left to give, I think. Yeah. So if we've given you all of that, along with all the other help from Europe, and you can't kick the Russians out of that 15% of your territory, and they can't advance anymore, we're done. Let's draw this up and let's go. I think that I think what you said end of the year six seven months from now depending on how things are going I think that that's a possibility. Do you think Biden has the ability to do that? Uh, I mean, yeah, that's another question. I don't know. Um, I mean, he forgot to wear socks this week, Brandon. <laughs> well, and then the problem too is question comes in with timing of all that. I mean, you're talking about a presidential right in the middle election. of an election. Yeah. yeah. Let's do a bunch of little quicker, faster, more fun topics. Um, the president went to, I think he was in London this earlier this week, and there was a big story that he did, was not wearing socks with his shoes. And I saw that. There were right all these close-up media, photographs. Yeah, yeah. This is proof that he's senile. <laughs> he was just wearing a pair of cool Skechers that you, you know, had the socks come in with him. Right. Skechers are the official shoe of being old. Biden's wearing Skechers. <laughs> are these the ones you, that you step into? They're yes. called step-ins yes. or whatever? Yeah. Brandon, if you like look down, I have a pair of Skechers slip-ons on right now. Oh, okay. That's right, because Skechers are the official shoe of being old. <laughs> I'm so happy that Kanye tried to make a pitch to, to Skechers when uh, oh, that's Adidas right, threw did. him out, and they wouldn't even let him in the building. That's awesome. So that, that's kind of yeah. that's kind of my people right there. I love Skechers. But this is just part of the theme that Biden's senile insane and i mean anything they can grasp at, sure. they will like if he stumbles a bit i mean if they did you stutters. see him with king charles i mean he had king charles hand like he was a walker he was not letting go of that oh i didn't dude. see that like firm grip. yeah, yeah. Th- those two he i didn't think you were supposed to touch the king that rule doesn't apply to joe yeah, biden because he was hanging all over you're not him. yeah you're definitely not supposed to so that's <laughs> uh but maybe charles is changing that rule well what's he 76 77 yeah, charles is it he's in either. his 70s yeah do you think biden has some sort of breakdown slash meltdown slash moment during the first by the end of the year which makes him rethink the presidential run Perhaps, because at this point, I am terrified of the fact, again, this is not going to be 2020, where he was able to campaign essentially from his basement and not be out holding rallies. He is going to have to be traveling cross-country, grueling schedule, holding rallies, and that's what 
I'm afraid of because all it takes is one slip up and we know there will be several likely and that becomes the media story of the day let alone if anything else happens god forbid he has a mini heart attack or a stroke i mean especially if he's some you know if he's in arizona and it's like 90 degrees like i mean it's like come on it's like 106 in arizona which yeah by the way arizona is in record heat wave they've had like 12 days over 100 now consecutively uh did you look at the weather next week for here (laughs) Next Friday is supposed to be 106 here. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's going to be brutal. I Yeah. I mean, that's, by the way, that's a whole nother topic because for those that haven't followed, like much of the United States has seen very extreme weather. Vermont is being hit with floods they haven't seen in like a mm-hmm. hundred years. Yeah. I mean, very, I, just, and then the record heat wave you're seeing uh, across much yeah. of the country. I mean, it's, I mean, the world just keeps setting records for getting hotter and hotter, and we just right. seem to keep ignoring it. And we keep shrugging and on. just like, oh. I Skechers was my first grab bag topic. What's yours, Brandon? Uh, oh, well, just a random topic. Um, <laughs> you I, didn't know. Okay, I'll, I'm struggling. I'm drawing. Right, I'll yeah. do one. Nigel Farage. This was the gentleman who started, I think started, popularized, let's say. The UKIP party. The Brexit campaign. Yeah. And he is the gentleman during Brexit. Brexit, I think, was six years ago. This is the very English gentleman that you saw about taking back the country. He was the one who really put the marketing spin and the big push uh, for, for England to leave the EU. Well, Nigel has a problem. It's been six years since Brexit. Brexit has gone horribly wrong. Um, England or the United Kingdom is the only G7 country that has not built its economy back to its pre-pandemic level. That is basically on Brexit. Brexit politically has been a disaster for the Conservative Party. Um, May got run out in, in weeks. A lot of those financial problems he was dealing with are caused by Brexit. Right. England has gotten together and decided to tell Nigel Farage to go fuck himself. And the first industry that did this was banking. Nigel made a video because one day his bank called him and said, we will be closing your accounts. You can take your money elsewhere. Nigel has contacted nine banks in the UK. All of them have told him, we will never do business with you. Nigel is, Nigel is at the find out stage. He is the one who led this country through this process of finding people who felt disconnected, much like the United States in 2016, fed them a ton of disinformation, gave them a whole bunch of things that could possibly happen but didn't. And now that it's a giant shit sandwich, he's somewhat perturbed that the entire collection of countries in the UK is telling him, we want you to do what you promised us you would do. When you said, if Brexit went in the tank, you would leave England. It's time for you to leave. I think that's fair. Yeah, no, I had not kept up with the fact that, like, there's actual consequences now, and he's feeling it. I take this as, as the universe is healing a little bit. Nigel Farage did something that was a total asshole move, and now the total country is telling him, we want you to leave. That seems fair. And what he did with that referendum in the UK was, that was leveraged by Trump, and and Trump used that as part of his rallying cry, saying, see, this is, you know... Certainly played on it. Yep, that level of populism. And Nigel Farage is somebody, too, who has... come to the United States frequently. He's mm-hmm. buddied up with Steve yeah. Bannon, with the far right, uh, CPAC. He's been like a headline speaker there for many he's years. He's grifted as much as anybody oh, yeah. in the United States. And so, so, you know, now, like, yeah. he's, he's actually yeah. hey, facing Nigel. consequences. Yeah. So. I think that's good. 
Yeah, I think so, too, because, I mean, England, the United Kingdom is not doing as well economically as much of continental Europe. No. I mean, leaving the EU has hurt them. They still don't have appropriate protocols in place. One of the big sticking points is Northern Ireland, uh, which yep. has had this long, um, open uh, customs and trading border with the Republic of Ireland. And so trying to figure that out in terms of how you're going to operate now with a pseudo closed border has been a just major headache for the UK. And there is no easy solution here. And so this is going to be a long slog unless they were to somehow repeal this. This was something that passed by a very narrow margin in the referendum. Yep. It was like 5149. Yep. I mean, that was very closely divided. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and um you can probably go all the way back, though, even uh, before this, because David Cameron, when he was reelected in uh, 2016, uh, prime minister, um, he did so um, with the promise that he would let that vote go to a referendum, even he though did. he didn't support it. And so when he won, he went ahead yeah. and honored that, and the rest is history. And so it's just there's been a series of bad policy mistakes. I watched like this 20 minute video from a world economist who was talking to this group in England prior to Brexit. And he said, Hey, the whole stuff about your sovereignty and, and ruling yourself. He's like, I got no skin in that game. I'm an American. You do what feels good to you there. But what I'm here to explain to you is there are very few universal laws in economics. The one is is the is that trade follows the same principle as gravity. You trade with the people you're closest to. That is a universal truism in economics. Right. And you're breaking this this there're going to be consequences to this. Absolutely. He's like I don't know what to tell you about your sovereignty. That's on you. But the one thing I can tell you is economically you're going to do damage to yourself. Well, since they had joined the EU originally, I mean, the UK had voiced concerns about their sovereignty, and they already had carve-outs for that. Sure. And they were also not part of the monetary union um, Mm -hmm. as far as the euro currency. So they were already fairly independent while realizing the benefits of being part of that you know, greater trade union with the rest of Europe. So a lot of this was just based on, you know— disenchantment at home, the rise of populism, uh, a message that the United Kingdom Independence Party, that was really its only core message. That party, which was Nigel Farage's party, who led that party, UKIP, they had no other rallying cry or policy plank besides that. So that party ceased to have any viability after that was passed because that was their one and only issue. So, yeah, it's it's one of those where I guarantee you if they did a revote like the the outcome would be vastly different today. I, I agree. But, you know, it is what it is. All right, church turn braided. Uh, so um, this is a little bit random, but I was going down a YouTube rabbit hole, <laughs> um, and I saw uh, – so Piers Morgan has his own show that I guess is on – I don't know if it's on a network or if Isn't it's just it on, on – in the UK, or is it is it here? Um, well, it, so the, I saw th- what I was watching. He was doing it from New York. Okay. So uh, he did have a show in the UK. Now, if you remember, he, he got walked, into this altercation yeah, I, yeah. and he okay. was fired from Good Over Day. Meghan Markle. Meghan yes, Markle. Meghan Markle. Yeah. But he has a show now out of New York. Again, I don't know what it's actually broadcast on because I found this on YouTube. But what drew me to it was he was doing an interview with Roseanne Barr, who I had not <laughs> seen or heard from in a while. So 
I again had nothing better to so do. So you're I'm thinking like, like the Connors, that. and you're thinking the Roseanne show. Well, yeah. Well, and she's I, just a comedian. Well, and, and she's like a little crazy. So I, I'm kind of curious to see like what she says and how she like this interview is conducted. Brandon, we need to work on your definition of a little crazy. <laughs> okay, so if you thought she was a little crazy, like you got to see this interview because she is a lot crazy. Yeah. She and and Pierce Morgan was approaching it as someone who was friendly, like trying to like help her along in terms of like friendly questions. But um, when he said he disagreed with her at one point, um, because she went off on this tirade about like anybody who believes Biden actually got 80 million votes. Sure. Like, and then, and about how like Ukraine is full of Nazis and we're on the wrong side. But anyway, when he said he disagreed, and I forget which of those points he did, um, she like went off on him. And all of a sudden she's like raising her voice to the point that she's practically like yelling and about how the, you know, the country is just going to hell and nobody knows Didn't anything Didn't at one anymore. point she yell Zelensky's not a good Jew yes okay she did say it yeah because uh, okay. Pierce did say that he's like well you know Zelensky is Jewish so like it's you don't want to make broad-based generalizations about Ukraine when and she's like that's, that's what, what I'm here to do that comment, uh you know about the like oh he's not a good Jew and and then she went into this whole thing about how there are all of these quote unquote like not good Jews and these and she referred to them as as Marxists. There's these Marxist uh, Jews of one of like and so it was just uh it was fascinating to see somebody like that like untethered and just go without any filter because she had no filter at this point. I'm like, oh my gosh, do she you really remember is out there? Do you remember how she got her her show canceled, The Connors, a couple years ago? Oh yeah, so with it, that tweet about Valerie Jarrett about Valerie Jarrett, yeah. 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 Yep. I'm not even going to say it because it's so disgusting. Right. Yeah. Roseanne, I, I think Roseanne has several diagnosable mental health issues. Oh, I th- and that's clear. I mean, if you saw the way she conducted this interview and there were times she was looking off camera, like there's some serious issues there. And like the way she raised her voice and, you know, and P- Pierce wasn't even arguing with her. He was giving her a platform and she still was taking it taking such an antagonistic approach like she was like literally sparring with him and he's like i'm not arguing with like i'm just letting you speak like you don't have to like get upset roseanne has found a home in austin with the joe rogan crowd i was gonna say and when the did new she move comedy to Texas? show she lives in austin now yeah the new yeah. comedy club that he's open and she's with a group of people that just see her as a comedian and give her comedic license in everything she does. Okay. And so Roseanne is a is a is an established pretty good. She was a pretty good stand up comedian. Oh, yeah. Back back in the day, and what they're doing is just making excuse to cover up the fact that she's severely mentally ill, right. And needs a lot of help. Well, and and in some ways they're using her, right? Absolutely. I mean that's what this a- is. I mean everybody's <laughs> using everybody in yeah. that scenario. Okay, mine is Ron DeSantis dropped nine points last week. He is down to, I believe, 17%. I think the latest poll I saw of Trump was at 56. DeSantis was 17. Vivek Ramaswamy was like nine or something. And everybody else was three. Christie and all of that. Brandon, has Trump once again pulled off the trick of you can't start a political fire if there's no oxygen? I mean, and he's just like eliminated. Are we just in a holding pattern now until Trump decides what Trump does next? I don't. Beyond the polling, I saw a story, and again, this is one of those where it was sources close to, and again, so it's you know off the record. But 
um, several sources close to the Murdochs say that they are now done with DeSantis. Yeah. They're over him. They're looking for somebody else. They don't see him as the, the great hope to take Trump out. And so if that's true, that's also a major development because of the sway that they have at that network. Because if the tone and the tenor of the coverage of DeSantis changes on Fox News, then uh, you will start to see that impact his poll numbers as well, particularly if they try to find a different candidate. If they go after, for example, the governor of Virginia and look to, to him as, you know, somebody who should like get into the race late entry to help, you know, save the party. Fox was begging Glenn Youngkin to run for president today, just begging him to announce to run. He did some hit on Fox on education or CRT or one of his core things. Well, and after saying originally he wasn't going to run, he kind of teased that he might still run. So I don't I don't know where that stands as of now. But uh, I, from what I have read, he's getting a lot of uh, people that are reaching out, a lot of big donors encouraging him to run, especially now. I mean, with DeSantis tanking the way he is and just one bad decision after another. Yeah, but again— it, it, DeSantis made several, several bad calculations to get in, into this race. Number one, you could out Trump Trump, that yeah. there were there was there was a way to get to Trump's right that would that people would follow you. And that's just proving to be absolutely wrong. And he seems to have really not had a lot of tactics laid out of how to message that and no ability to pivot once he's seen that that message is, is gone. Yeah. And nobody in the Republican race right now even really looks like they're trying to gain gain ground no i mean it's there, <laughs> the rest of the field is uh, i mean it, it, there's really not much to say about it because they're not no? they they don't stick out in any way shape or form they're not trying there's no major effort to differentiate themselves from trump or to make that case why he or she yeah. deserves a nomination over trump you don't see that and so an absent Absent that, then what is the case for any of those people to become the nominee? And, and most of them are in the single digits. I yeah. mean, they're mired pretty low in the polls. I mean, Christy, um, Tim Scott, and Haley, they're all like at three. Uh, the other ones, I saw today, too, that the governor of North Dakota that's running, Bergman, Doug Bergham, I think, Bergham. and Vivek Ramaswamy are offering $20 gift cards for $1 donations. I read that, yeah. Yeah. So, I, But again, this is all to get on the dis- debate stage, but, too. So is this that Republicans have struggled up, up to Trump with the grassroots donors? Typically, historically, it's all been big donors. Oh, they have, yeah. So, and so is this just their way of breaking into that market? Well, yes, because that's that, that's been a shift in the party where the party now is relying more on those grassroots small-dollar donors than they are on the big donors, who now are pretty conservative and they're you know basically withholding their contributions because of uh, just being overly cautious. So yeah, there's a play for those small-time donors, but a lot of this is to, you have such a crowded field now, and I mean, we've never gone through like all of the candidates that have declared because there's too many, but you're talking about a field of at least 12 people, maybe more at this point, and so they all want to be up on that stage, but they have to meet a fundraising threshold to get there. Yeah. And so hence the And they the have 40,000 small donors, I believe. Yes. That's a lot. It is a lot. It's a big hurdle to climb if and you're not a And they have to come from certain states, too, I believe. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. And Vivek, uh, Vivek uh, I always— Ramaswamy. Ramasam, Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy. Ram, I always, Ramaswamy. That's as close as I'm going to get. I'm I'll, never going to We'll go with that. I'm going to just say Vivek yeah. for now. If I stop saying it, you could probably pronounce probably. it correctly. Probably. 
So Vivek, though, in some polls has eclipsed Ron DeSantis, and he is nipping at his heels. And so it would be fascinating to me, and I don't see it as out of the realm of possibility, um, that like in a place like Iowa, he could actually like come in second to yeah. and then you know beat out DeSantis. I think it was uh, Sarah Longwell in one of her focus groups of Iowa voters. She said several of them were more excited about him than they were DeSantis. But he's not running for president. No, he's not. But he has the ability to be a yeah. spoiler. He could. And he he is looking to get on Trump's ticket. Yeah. I mean for God's sake in New oh, York. He's totally playing up in to New Trump. York it's... during Trump's first indictment, he he basically wore a Trump hat. And called on all of the the people running to, to immediately support Trump. So, well, and he, he's already promised he would pardon Trump. You know, yeah. I mean, he's gone so out of his way. So, yeah. So that's what that is. But he he can play spoiler. And again, with all those candidates in the race, there's enough of them now to nip at DeSantis's heels. And you know, even a couple percentages here and there, DeSantis hasn't been able to. I mean, aggregate support at the double digit level. And if he's not able to do that. Um, Nothing else matters. None of those candidates are going to be the get the nomination, but they can embarrass DeSantis uh, to a a great degree, which I think we're going to see. Right wing media is still talking about the video DeSantis put out. That is not going away. And his explanation for hey, that's fair game because you know Trump actually. I guess, believes that LBTQ people are humans that deserve rights. And in that video, he basically promises almost to eliminate the rights or eliminate the existence yeah. of trans people. I mean, what it's, the fuck a, are you doing? It's a ludicrous video. It's dis- it, uh. it's disgusting. And, and, and it's also the first time, I think, I mean, you'd have to go back generations where we saw one group targeted to that degree in a yes. campaign video. We haven't seen that before. And then also, again, just the irony there, almost homoerotic um, images that are juxtaposed of these oiled up like muscle men. I want you to know, Brandon, that I, I wanted to make sure that I knew <laughs> what homoerotic was. So I spent a couple of hours searching homoerotic art. That's definitely homoerotic. Oh, definitely. And, and again, it just adds also to the uh, the irony of the entire ad itself. And, and Let me show you how masculine I am by sandwiching pictures of me between naked up oiled by or almost naked muscular but, but again, it, this is something we've seen on the, the far right uh, repeatedly. It's just remember Tucker Carlson when he had that special about like testicular tan tanning oh, to like increase like your ray beams on your balls or something. Right. It like, increases your testosterone. <laughs> like, yeah. And again, it's just like, what are you talking okay, about? Brandon, I asked you this two weeks ago. I still what is the right's fascination with this perception of masculine power. And I get it. There's a thing going around like, what's the rights, you know, um, fascination with fitness and all of this. And I don't think it's a fascination with fitness. It's not fitness per se. But it's, it's, it's strength. It's physical strength. It's strength. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's the but, perception but it's strength of strength. in a physical form. They don't like recognize that you could have any type of strength. Oh, not strength other than and character. Being, no, being 6'4 and, right. and tall and broad shouldered. I, I don't, I thought we were past that a little bit. Because the, the, the irony is that when it, when it comes to, uh, you know, they also have this uh, mantra of never apologize even if you're wrong, never admit defeat, never admit you're wrong, all of which are not indicators of character strength. They're actually the opposite of poor character. But, yeah, it's all about just on the physical level, outside, surface level perception of strength. And I don't know what it is. I, the only thing I can think of is it, this is a response – Obviously, we have changing demographics in our society. Uh, you know, in terms of who was ascended before, we're seeing that displaced. There's, you know, just and this is just a 
anxiety-fueled reaction to that. This is like an old white guy thing, knowing that I'm losing my, my physical prowess. Yeah. Here, here's something to think about, Brandon. I've been on top for so long, and Correct. now I'm not, and this is how Would I'm going Trump to Would Trump have won the presidency if he were 5'8"? No, I don't, I don't think so. No, I don't think he'd have won the, the Republican primary. If Trump wasn't a legit 6'5", and I heard a, a story that he won't go into a room with Barron because Barron's taller than him, <laughs> that's, and that's one of his, his narcissistic right. tics yeah. is, I have to be the biggest guy there. I, I, I knew this was part of human psyche. You know, I, I've read about, you know, hey, traditionally, just the, the biggest guy who can club the hardest, that traditionally was the leader. I'm aware that you know, there's been strong-arm crime, strong-arm police, but I thought we had evolved a little bit past that that simply your physical dimensions and your physical strength didn't qualify you for a leadership position. But I guess that's what we're going to do. Uh, yeah, apparently not. Not in some quarters. Do you have another quick topic, Brandon? Is it your turn or is it my turn? No, it's your turn. I guess it's my turn. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh I, I may have exhausted the, the quick I, topics I, I had. I got one for you we talked about. Did you watch the Andrew Tate interview with Tucker Carlson? Oh, I did not. I saw that come across <laughs> my feed, and I saw it boosted by Elon Musk. Oh, God. I, Andrew Tate's disgusting. And the whole interview, I made like 10 minutes of it. It's just dumb and stupid. I, this is actually a solid segue from our talk about masculinity, because Andrew Tate is one of those. Not because true. he's like this bodybuilder who's been... Uh, um, held up as this model by the MAGA right in terms of manhood. And this is a guy who's been accused of rape, of sexual trafficking of women. He's actually being charged with those crimes right now in Romania. Mm, yeah. And and yet he's given a platform and he gets this interview. By with, Tucker Carlson. I just... It's just unbelievable. I don't get it. I, I don't know. In Romania, can you be under charges? I don't know how Romania works. Because he wasn't charged with anything the first time, but they still held him for 90 days while they investigated. But now he has officially been charged with human trafficking. I have no doubt that the laws of Romania can have some some peculiarities to them. Yeah. And that politics and local corruption probably plays part of this with Andrew Tate. Right. Many things can be true at one time. Absolutely. Andrew Tate is also a gigantic piece of shit. And there is a lot of evidence that have built up against Very him. Very much. So, yeah, he's not I don't care if this is least. just a character. Andrew Tate is playing for money on the internet. Don't give a shit. Hey, yeah. if this is the bed you've made, lay in it. Right. And why would you do this in Romania, knowing that at any places. moment you can get shut down by any number of government officials for anything? Well, and I think for those that don't remember, he was caught because in the background when he was doing a uh, live video feed, he had a pizza box that was recognized yeah. by viewers for a lo as a local pizza place in Romania. And that's how the police were able to track him down. He was making fun of Greta, I believe. That's right, Greta Thornburg. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was kicking him in the nuts over something, and he got mad. You're looking something up, Brandon. Oh, I was just uh, – there was a um, – it's a very small story, but it was something that caught my attention that uh, we talked about AI, and obviously AI is, continues to be in the news in terms of impact on all aspects of society. So I was reading a story that there is a first AI uh, uh, live television news broadcaster. Uh, so this is – I've heard about this. India – her name is Lisa. The is AI's it just like an is avatar? 
it's basically like an avatar. It's like a humanoid um, avatar, almost kind of like holographic. Sure. Uh, she is able to say the news. She doesn't have, of course, doesn't stutter, doesn't make any mistakes. Perfect. Yeah. It, it, she doesn't. Uh, she doesn't need vacation. She doesn't need to take breaks. She doesn't have sick days. So this is rolling out and being tested. And the question is, does this become the standard for the future in terms of news? Do this have- sounds perfect, Brandon. So <laughs> you mean no more six people panels, just, I would say somebody, but some entity simply reading me the news, not giving me their opinion, not asking six people what they think and allowing them to go all over the place and talk. I didn't just think about a it that simple vein, presentation yeah. of the news. I'm all in. I'm all in. I do wonder like long-term... The thing that's on my mind is how many jobs as we know them today will be lost to AI. I hope all of them. <laughs> I hope all of them. But, but but where like as a society like where where are those people going to move to? Like what I, I'm just like if we look like 30, 40 years out, I just wonder what our society is going to look like. Because uh, I mean, you're talking about rapid transformational changes. Sure. I I always I always seen. love when religious conservatives I think mostly make this argument that hey I mean AI you know let's not let it make things too good remember we still need to be miserable here right <laughs> yeah. because growth and and can only happen when you're truly miserable. Hey I guess I get I was going to say old people but goddamn I guess that's me now. You rarely make headway with the younger generation today explaining to them that they only get to growth by being miserable. By yeah, but like misery. misery. I think <laughs> th- that makes me so goddamn mad. We're done with that, aren't we? I think so. I mean we could I, I mean in the future could be bright in terms of so many jobs are automated and then, you know, maybe there's some kind of like hey, you know what there's no jobs anymore? Strapping a plow on a horse and plowing a field. Yeah. You know why? We grew out of that through technology. Right. I hope AI wipes out everybody's job and we have to completely reinvent work. The end of manual labor is absolutely Absolutely. The end of thinking. That sounds awesome. (laughs) You mean to tell me, I mean, all, I listened to Ben Shapiro today who talked a little bit about AI, lawyer jobs, mid-level jobs that all you're there to do is create verbal content. Done. Done. Those jobs, why are they even here? If there's one institution that needs to be blown up, and COVID proved this, is the entire world of work needs to be wiped clean, the earth salted, and completely rethought of. Well, and so I wonder, though, what do you replace that with? Do you replace it with, uh, what is it called? There's a term for it, like a national... it's not a subsidy, but like Andrew Yang has talked about. Uh, like universal a, basic income. Universal basic income or something like that. If we get to a point where you know the number of actual jobs becomes much more smaller sure like because i mean if we're not going to have enough jobs for everybody why do all of us have to work i don't i don't understand that why is it that only growth through misery i don't i don't these are all i think complete i don't think they're outdated concepts but i think people are saying yeah 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 we've heard that what else you got but why and why have we been so slow to even rethink like the concept of the 40 our work week, which dates back to like, you know, Henry Ford and the production era, like five days a week, 
one day off to do with your house, one day for religion. We haven't rethought that in a hundred no, years. Look at how much society why? has changed why? since then. Like, that's why? what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I, that, that's what the one thing that the pandemic could have done is wiped out the economy. It's worldwide. It's truly what we need. We need to completely rethink the institution of work. Why are we doing this? What are we getting out of this? Somebody texted me today because the company has finally said, if you're not here four days of work and we're checking badges, you're going to get fired. And he said somebody who's a really high performer got fired. Wow. Quit that company. Yeah, that's insane. You're an, working for morons. That's insane. Stop. The fact that's that crazy. They would fire a high performer because Walk they're not away. Anyone. Yeah. Why? Why? Because some arbitrary person said you had to come. Fuck, that, that's stupid. I just since there's I so have, many decisions like that that are made in corporate America that just defy reason and logic. Like there's no like uh, revenue basis behind them. There's no growth basis. They just it's because they've always done things, and you just like want to bang your head against the wall. Like why? <laughs> I'm going to give everybody a piece of really practical advice. If you go to work tomorrow and open up your calendar, and you have at least one reoccurring meeting a day per week on your calendar, you need to quit that job as fast as you can. Yeah. Because you are just wasting time. You're yeah. wasting your time. You're wasting everybody's time. Can you tell Brandon I'm very anti-work at this point? <laughs> it sounds like it, yeah. Work is horrible. The idea that we all used to drive somewhere to go to the same building because somebody told us to, that that's ridiculous. <laughs> so we, we got into a very kind of like meta discussion here and very philosophical. What about um, the My Pillow guy? He is leasing part of his factory space, and he is auctioning off part of his equipment because business is really, really, really bad. I read that. He's still under the delusion, though, that somehow <laughs> he's going to come out on top in the Dominion and the uh, the other case. The um, uh, so in both of the yeah, voting machines, Smartmatic, yeah. Smartmatic, yeah. So he's another one who's just out of touch with reality. Is, but he, again, a, is he a victim of cancel culture, Brandon? <laughs> he, he is not. So everything, he has brought all of that upon himself. Uh, he has made his business as political as you could possibly make it mm -hmm. and put it out there. And he lost touch with reality a long time ago. And yeah, and so now he's paying the consequences. And the fact of the matter is that even people that may have liked his pillows – like, they don't want to support a person who wanted to overturn democracy yeah, and I, yeah. transform, the, transform the country. I hate when people play dime store psychologists, but allow me to go ahead and do that. The only thing that makes sense to me is due to his drug addiction past, there has to be something deep in him that says, I don't deserve to be successful. Mm. So this is how he just chose to so light he's like himself self, on fire. So uh, sabotage That's the only That's thing. That's what it is. That's yeah. the only thing that makes sense. There, yeah, there is something I didn't think about it, but there is something to that. There are people who just get in their own way, and it's a deep psychological because they feel like they don't deserve yeah. it, so they tear themselves down, and that's probably what we're seeing happen and there. I oddly respect that guy. I mean, he's held on to this now for yeah, he's not giving up. This wasn't just something he was using to try to get close to to the power tit by suck, sucking up to Trump. He truly believes this. Now he's insane. But he does truly believe it. You got to give him some credit for that. Uh, yeah, I, I guess there's <laughs> that. Um, and other news, obviously, the we're now two years after the January 6th insurrection, but there's still people being arrested for their crimes that day. There's uh, actually Washington Post has a live tracker where you can see like the total number who have been arrested and charged, which is well over a thousand now. 
But the latest story is that one of a 22-year-old man who was arrested for pepper spraying police in the eye on that day and assaulting them was actually on probation for attempted murder at the time, uh, which, again, don't even get me started. Like, how was he on probation for attempted murder? I don't, that makes no but sense. But here, he, I mean, you have to have balls to then go out and commit more crime while you're on probation, which he did. He also has all these screeds where he's very, like— anti-black, anti-gay, anti-Hispanic, um, anti-Native American, and basically has targeted all those ethnic groups. Uh, but he um, is was just sentenced. He got three years in prison for the, um, the Capitol attack. Uh, although I think in the grand, grand scheme of things, that's probably not enough considering he tried to murder somebody right before that. I mean, but- Brandon, the reason I'm not a cop, you pepper spray me, I'm going to shoot your ass. Just straight out. You hit me with that pepper spray, I'm just pulling my gun and I'm just going to start squeezing shots off. That guy deserved more than that. I I completely agree. And I feel like, again, this is cynical of me, but three years in prison is long enough for him to just form ties with other white supremacists in prison and then get out and, you know, continue to cause harm. So Ray Epps has officially sued Fox News as well. Oh, this I, is the guy that Tucker Carlson Carlson spent like three been weeks. Talks straight. That lawsuit was coming. I didn't know that he's actually filed. There's some strange video where he's like telling everybody follow me, so they they latched on that he was some sort of plant or something. I remember and that that became a just whole conspiracy on the QAnon yeah, side. He yeah. went on 60 Minutes a month or ish ago and just said Tucker Carlson absolutely has ruined my life. I can't work. I can't go anywhere. So there's another large lawsuit that they'll probably pay out. Mm. Have you heard that on Friday, and I I may totally just made this up, but I thought I heard on Friday there's going to be a town hall with all of the Republican candidates minus Donald Trump hosted by Tucker Carlson. I not heard. Is this in Iowa maybe? No, no. So what's – the only thing I heard – is that Turning Point USA is having a lot of the candidates there. Um, And so it's not, they don't have them all though. Only so many have accepted. And this kind of blew up over Twitter because one of the people that accepted was Aza Hutchison, who totally doesn't fit in with that crowd. So it was, that caught a lot of people by surprise. Like, hey, why did he accept? And like, what kind of reception is he going to get there? I mean, by the Turning Point people. At Turning Point, that's Charlie Kirk's youth organization. Brandon, have you ever listened to any of Charlie Kirk's radio show or podcast? I, I have not. I've just I've seen clips online. He's a lunatic. He sounds like it. So yeah, I, I think you would uniquely hate Charlie Kirk because <laughs> he wraps himself up in this intellectualism that's just really, really gross. Yeah, and the people he has on. I mean, I this week Charlie Kirk's. I he's in my podcast library. I scroll through occasionally. Oh, I don't know how you do it. Yeah, just just to get a listen to what is happening on this side of the fence. Charlie Kirk's another one. They weave religion into their politics in a very strange way too. That targets young men. That that's really odd and and new, I think, for Republicans and conservatives to try to to kind of use religion as this this outreach mechanism. It's the whole idea of like Christian nationalism, yeah. though, right? It's like tying yeah. religion up with the state. So it's not like the religion of those who like may just be like true believers who go to church. It's this idea that somehow, you know, you're going to use the imagery of Christianity um, and use it for your own means yeah. and ends and uh, and it becomes 
the state itself and that there should be no separation. But they do. There's a whole methodology to how they do that. Because Fox pulled out of that Turning Point USA thing. They're they're ending oh, they their relationship with, oh, okay. with Charlie Kirk. It's another kind of signal that maybe they're looking to get back to the back to the center a little After, bit. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, I think the Dominion lawsuit. <laughs> what, why hasn't Smartmatic moved forward? Yeah, I haven't heard any updates there. Is it why that's stalled out? Is that like the hearing stage? Like I don't know. On? I would have thought it would move faster because they just took all of Dominion's uh, legal discovery and just moved forward with some of that. But I haven't, I haven't heard a lot on that. I will say if we're looking to what's coming up, there's going to be the first big test for Judge Eileen Cannon and the mm. Mar-a-Lago docs lawsuit. So there is a one-week extension agreed for the, the first hearing, which I think has been moved to next Friday, um, per the Trump attorneys, which the prosecutor agreed to. But Trump's attorneys are also um, requesting that this just be completely stalled out through next year. Yeah. Um, essentially, you know, for Trump to become president and then they can just end the whole thing. And... That uh, And it's really interesting because if you read between the lines of what his attorneys are requesting, um, they're doing it with the claim that they can't uh, get uh, national security uh, um, designation, yeah. what they need, in time. And But they're saying the allegedly um, classified documents, they can't even bring themselves to say the documents are classified, but the allegedly classified documents to be able to um, get certified, like, like it's trying to string a whole like thought together but not admit you know that yeah. they were even classified in the first place so eileen cannon will have to decide on that and that'll be the first test i think of her independence um from uh trump and how neutral she's going to be because it would be crazy to provide the defense with that type of like long extension which well, of course the prosecution opposes can't they just summarize these docs and it's not what's on the dock that matters. It's the classification. Right. And who created it? This was a, a DOJ dock classified above top secret, and it was about troop, troop movements. What more do you need to know? I don't think they don't – they have to hold these docs and look at them, do they? Or they don't – they don't I mean, need a full I, I guess that's down. what they're saying is that they need to have, be able to review them and read them word for word. Why? But, yeah, I, I don't understand. Um, I mean, there's probably some – type of legal issue there that if they didn't get that it would open up the case to be appealed on some level by saying they did it yeah. have direct access as attorneys in it uh, but again these this is complicated by the fact that this is such sensitive information and trump has attorneys that are so um you know amateurish amateurish that's the word yeah and so it would not surprise me that it would take them longer to be able to get uh, security uh, clearance to be able to view them, but it's not going to take a year. No. So this no. is just a ploy to drag it out. And again, we'll find out in terms of what the judge rules on it, but hopefully it gets shot down. Well, um, I think that's why they're going to charge in, in uh, New Jersey as well. There's a, there's more docs. I think yeah, they'll the charge Jersey, in New Jersey. I think provide some buffer there. Yeah. So and she goes off the rails. For those that haven't followed, there's been the, the grand jury has uh, been convened in the Fulton County case and uh, the DA there, uh, Fannie Willis, has announced that between July 11th and September, indictments will come down yeah. there. So we're now it's in that time frame. So we can expect indictments any day now. 
And I've heard Jack Smith is going to try to get his one six stuff wrapped up before she indicts. So the next two indictments, which I think both we would classify as being serious for Trump. Yeah. We're we're going to know by September, all the indictments are going to be on the table by September. And I guess we'll know what impact they have. I don't, we'll know what impact they're all going to be moving at various speeds. And so some like, it's very well possible that the, Fulton County case could proceed much more quickly because, again, there's not the national security documents yeah. that are involved in that one, and um, we'll become we'll be further along to a, a verdict and a resolution than uh, the federal DOJ cases. But it's going to be fascinating because all of these levers are going to be moving simultaneously, and we're go- we've never had this before. We're going to get to watch a former president. Um, being charged in real time in multiple cases at once, moving through the legal system in multiple states, and it's going to get really fascinating really quickly. How do you square the circle that the general rule, and I'll apply this to Hunter Biden's laptop, is, hey, that, that news story is too political. We're not going to touch it during the politics season, during, during, during the, the election season. So that doesn't apply to the criminal prosecution no, of because- the gentleman leading the Republican Party and in many polls is the next president of the United States? Well, I, I mean, I don't think it can because uh, it's a legal case. And so, yes, I mean, there's the issue of the political, but the reporting on a case that's happening in the court system, that's something that's completely separated from the political aspect. And so there's no way you cannot report on that. Uh, if it was a matter of reporting on a possible investigation or um, an investigation that was going on, that would be one thing that you would have to make decisions on how much airtime and everything to give it. But we're talking about actual cases moving through the legal system. And so I think that's just a whole different beast at that point. Like you can't avoid that. And once it starts, you can't just stop it. No. I understand what Trump is saying. Let's just not start this till after the election. That's not how the, any of this works. So the court system is a completely yeah. separate branch of government. Yeah. It's not supposed to be beholden to political timelines, campaign calendars, anything like that. Let's end with the Supreme Court in that um, I believe the Senate is going to attempt to pass a code of ethics for the Supreme Court this week. Yes. I think they're trying Out of the to. Judiciary yeah, committee? is it yeah. Durbin is going to Dick try Durbin, to get yeah. this passed and bring it to the floor? Totally against that. I do think the Supreme Court is a little bit out of control. I think it is definitely time for scrutiny on the Supreme Court. But I don't understand how one branch of government, where is the authority for them to exert this type of control over the Supreme Court? This is going nowhere. But isn't that what checks and balances are about? Like, I mean, if they don't, who would at that point? Because which branch would have the authority? I mean, how branches of government check and balance each other is clearly laid out in the Constitution, right? Right. This is not in the Constitution. So the founding fathers of the Constitution did not want this oversight capability but, coming out of the executive but there, or the judiciary. There are a lot of things that are not in the Constitution. The size of the Supreme Court is not spelled out sure. in the Constitution, and Congress has authority over that. And um, if there were to be term limits, Congress could do that. That's not spelled out in the Constitution. So th- there's a lot of aspects of how the court functions that are not defined. And, uh, you know, and so there are, um, yeah. So, I so would just can the executive branch write a code of contact, conduct for the legislator, legislative branch? But they don't have lawmaking authority. I mean that. So again, that's and where neither the does the Congress would... have authority to put an ethics rule 
on the Supreme Court. If they would codify it, I guess in some way as a law, they could do that. I would. Well, this is the point I'm getting to. You could do what they're supposed to do and pass a law. But, but yeah, I mean, that and, would mean we'd have to talk to each other and somebody <laughs> might have to compromise and the process might right. have to work. We're, we know, let's not do that. I don't, this but you're makes right. me I think, so mad. I, so I, I think you're right in the aspect of it's not a law. If it's just like this is going to be an ethics package or an ethics. Which the Supreme Court is under no obligation to, follow, to adopt. To adopt. So because then, they're a separate co-equal branch of government. So then you get back to like what? what's the effectiveness? What's the point of that? Yeah. I don't know. But I do think if it was a law, like if there was a law about term limits or a law to expand or reduce the size of the court, which we've seen, that would be different. And that would be something that could be upheld because they have lawmaking authority. Congress is the branch that makes the laws. The Supreme Court interprets the laws. The president enforces the laws. So this court, this case would go in front of the Supreme Court. Well, the, well, with the ethics, yeah, yeah, that case would. So if they somehow got this <laughs> ethics thing through Can you the house, yeah, it, this is why this this no, this is a no go. This is why this doesn't work. One branch does not. It is not defined that one branch makes the ethics rules for the other, and that I just think that's a horrible precedent. And if we just keep chipping away at the court, why don't we just make it a political body then? Why don't you just marry it to the judicial or the executive branch? Well, there needs and we to just be, go that way. I, so this is where I diverge because there needs to be baseline like regulations for, on the court in terms of what they can accept or not accept, just like there is on other aspects of government, members of the House and Senate, their staffs. I mean, when I served as uh, working for U.S. Senator as a staffer, I, there were all these rules on what I, you know gifts I could accept and what I couldn't accept. Oh. I mean, I you know I was allowed to accept anything that was like more than like twenty dollar you know worth twenty bucks. I can accept like concert tickets, for example. So anything in the realm of what we've seen released with the court justices is just like completely out of the but park. That's because the body that you worked for had the authority to establish its own rules of conduct. And they did. And you being a part of that organization had to follow that. How does that organization now branch over to make the rules for a whole separate co-equal branch of government? This just breaks down as but, soon as you get out to how do you, you can't. There, there has to be a mechanism though, because if you have a branch like the Supreme court that will never, police themselves in any way oh. then there's no there's no check essentially on it and our and you whole can't system get rid of is them. built on checks and balances i guess this is this is what i would say you have two choices here either the court adopts a code of conduct that then is given then to congress and congress codifies that well no they can't codify it through law because they have no legal authority to do it so the court makes its own system that they present to congress that's probably the best we're going to get we're, we're going to get out of this. I, well, I, and I still would argue, I don't know if they actually made a law. I mean, I guess it could be challenged, but I don't, I don't see how if Congress makes a law specifically outlining conduct for the court, how that would not hold up. So what, well, where, where's it? It's unconstitutional. There's nothing in the constitution that says that the Congress has the ability to put a code of ethics on the Supreme Court. Well, no, it's not that specific, but they are the lawmaking body, and they make laws when it comes to federal agencies. They so make you laws think those nine of... justices are going to let that pass? <laughs> I'm just saying, if Congress can make laws re around regulations and rules for every other aspect of society, which they do, I don't but know how this they can't is an aspect of society. This is a co-equal branch of government. 
Well, right, but Congress also makes laws that restrict the president's authority in terms of like going to war and in terms of getting co- congressional approval. Like, so they already restrict the executive branch. Let's let's end on this. What's the limiting principle? What limits some butthole like Matt Gates and a Republican-led Congress and Senate making some ridiculous rule about what they can and can't take? What is the limiting principle to what you can, how you can and cannot affect what they do? What, what limits this? Are you telling me every three years when we get a new Congress, there's going to be a whole new set of ethical rules for the Supreme Court? What happens when you get a judge that Democrats don't like and Republicans put on the court and we get control of the judicial branch again? Where does this stop? How is this limited? What parts of their conduct can I make rules about? What parts can't I? This is a whole can of worms that I just don't think you can open up. Yeah. Uh, Roberts, get off your ass and do something. I think that's what, what this is. Are you doing anything this weekend, Brandon? Uh, I don't know yet. I, <laughs> I, I don't have any definite plans. I need to figure Brandon, that out. Brandon, that, that's what like a young single person says. <laughs> See, you don't know yet because you expect you might have some good options might, this yeah. weekend. Me, changes, yeah. I, got, I got no good options this weekend. Eh, None? I don't know. Uh, some, something will happen. It won't be that pleasant, but, you know, it's something to do. Watch anything good recently or new? Or? <sighs> We're watching Breaking Bad, uh, Jody and I. Have you watched Breaking Bad from beginning? I've not. Or, so are you God, watching it, good. rewatching it? Or no, like, we've we've. Oh, okay. I, I saw maybe half of the first season. Jody watched a little bit of it. So like every other person, I guess we're going back and looking at old things because nothing new is worth worth looking at. But Breaking Bad seems to be occupying our, our time at this point. Brian Cranston is an amazing actor. He is a great actor. I, I would watch it just to see him because I heard great things about him in that And how series. he can go from looking like everybody's dad to doing something incredibly violent in the same scene is really, really good. I do need to check that out. So I've been watching the new season of Black Mirror, which dropped on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you have ever watched that or got into I've that. I've watched a few of them. Uh, so I, yeah, I like that series, especially because I've, uh, some of the new episodes have really veered, um, some of them have been technology-based, but others have been supernatural or just even like more kind of murder realm yeah. with like unexpected events. But I went back to watch some of the original, the first season, which came down the pike in like 2015 or 2016. And it is crazy because I didn't realize at the time, but a few of those early episodes deal with like AI. And this was years before we were where we are now. And it's like, the crap, like that's happening right now. (laughs) My my advice to the people who made, makes Black Mirror, boy, season one, episode one, shouldn't have been that. Yeah. Remember that first episode? Oh, I remember. That's yes. a hard one to get. That is a hard one. You need yeah. to stick that at the end of the first season right. or at the beginning. That was the first one they led with. And I'm like, boy, I don't know if this is going to be my thing. It's like Ozark. In the first episode of Ozark where they're cutting people up and stuffing oh, them. Yeah. The, well, so that, that's it for me. If, <laughs> if you don't like watching violence and violence on TV, it's like, okay, this first episode, I, the great I don't thing, think this is down. So for those that don't know, um, the best equivalent to uh, Black Mirror is like a modern-day Twilight Zone, really, because every episode is a different story. Yeah. They have different producers, different directors, and some of the later ones are really good. So the the first episode in the new season um, stars Selma Hayek because they started bringing yeah. in big-name actors. Um, and they this new season starts off like very well very ai driven it's like an update from one of their earlier ai episodes much more relevant to today but again it's one of those i was not crazy about the first few episodes of the 
early seasons of yeah. Black Mirror, but I really got into the later seasons, and I felt like it was one of those that got better as they continued yeah. to move along. Yep. So, yeah. That's right. what I'm watching. That's our hour. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for listening to Two Men in the Middle. Make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at twomeninthemiddle.com. Drop us an email at twomeninthemiddle at gmail.com or tweet at us at Two Men in the Middle. We'll see you next week.